we've been dealing with the series of humility. And as I shared last week during communion, I said that when we start to share a word, God first deals with us. And he continues to deal. It's not a once-off. Thank you, Christo. I'm glad you're on here with me this morning. And so I want to just share something of what God revealed to me over the last few weeks as he was dealing with me. And in Daniel 12:10 it says, "Many will be purged, purified, refined by these trials. But the wicked will continue in wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are spiritually wise will know what it means." And so I started to look at the scripture and the word purged is to get rid of unwanted feelings, qualities, and conditions. The word purified is to have contaminants removed. And refined is to have impurities removed through a process. What the scripture is saying is that when trials come, it's for a purpose. But only the spiritually wise will understand that. The wicked will continue. And then God started to show me gold. That gold in its purest form is soft and it is pliable. And when impurities are added, it becomes hard and less pliable. And the process of refining of gold is they add a liquid flux And the impurities are drawn through a heating process to this liquid. And the impurities float to the surface. And they would come with a ladle and they would scoop up the impurities on the top of the gold. And leave it pure. And so God started to show me our heart is pure. Until impurities come. And what was once soft and pliable that God could use suddenly becomes hard and resistant. God wants us to understand that he's taking us through a process of refining. When trials and afflictions and difficulties come, it's the purging and the purifying and the refining of the heart because he says, I want you to be like pure gold in my hands, soft and pliable. And as God was dealing with me and showing me the process of gold and how our hearts become hard, he gave me a vision of uh, rock pools at the ocean. And if you stand, if you go to Mshlanga or anywhere else where there's rock pools, the granny pools, you would stand and the water is clear and calm. And you can see the sand just under the water. And it appears to be clear until a wave crashes over. And suddenly this water is stirred. And the impurities that were laying just under the surface of the sand starts to come to the top. But there's something else that happens when these waves start crashing in. You start to see small, beautiful fish emerge from the cracks and the crevices of the rocks. And God said to me, when I take you through the fire, when I take you through, when it feels like waves are crashing in over you, trust me, 
Because I'm not only bringing the impurities out that you may be like pure gold. I'm exposing the gifts and the beauty that's laid dormant for way too long. And so the word of the Lord this morning is take heed. Take heed. He's doing a good thing. And it may seem painful. And it may seem hard. But you're going to come out like refined, pure gold in the hands of the Father. And so this morning, I'm going to be sharing on humility again as we're going through the series. And I've titled the message, Humility, a weapon to disarm the enemy. And what we need to know, church, is firstly who our enemy is. We need to know what his weapon is. And then we need to understand the strategy so that we can effectively disarm him. Amen? And so today I want to discuss one very effective strategy of the enemy in our lives. And it's offense. Offense rooted in pride. The word offense in Greek is the word scandalon. And it depicts a picture of a bait on a trap. Like a mouse trap that would have bait attached. And as the victim would come and take the bait, the trigger would be released in that moment. And the victim would be caught in this trap. Either caught, injured, or killed. And we need to understand that the enemy will continuously bring opportunity and present us opportunity to become offended. Continuously. If you've just got over a hurt, he will bring another one, I guarantee you. He will continuously present you with opportunities to become offended. And if you take the bait, you're caught in the trap. And I want to read a scripture this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, and it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Verse 23 says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And verse 26 says, That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is a strong caution to us that if we don't stay alert and understand what the strategy is, we'll be caught in his trap to do his will. Not your will, not the Father's will, but his will. And so this is not a topic that we can take lightly and be ignorant and casual about. This is serious. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 to 8 says, Be clothed with humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your cares upon him. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
And I want to dissect the scripture quickly and just explain what it means. Firstly, it says be clothed with humility. That means putting something on. In the morning you wake up and you have an option. You can get dressed or not. I'm really glad this morning everybody did. But you have an option of putting clothes on. And if you don't, you leave yourself exposed, right? The same in our spiritual walk. If we do not clothe ourselves with humility, put on humility, a cloak of humility, we leave ourselves exposed to the enemy. You see, humility is not thinking highly of yourself. It's not thinking low of yourself. It's really just thinking of yourself less. It's realizing that it's not about me. There's a greater work. Because really all of us are just passing through. This is not our home. And we've been called to serve. We need to quit being the master. We've been called to serve. And so it's not what makes me happy and what I feel like and what pleases me. It's about what pleases the master. Humility acknowledges that I need Jesus every minute of every day. It makes allowances for other people's shortcomings. How often do we judge others based on their actions, but ourselves on our intention? But I didn't mean that. My heart was right. But let somebody else do it and we judge them on their actions and not their intentions. The next thing the scripture says is that God resists the proud. The word resist means refuse to accept. So this shows us that pride destroys intimacy. You know, intimacy in marriage is one of the greatest protections. The more intimate you are with your husband or your wife, the closer you are, the more in love, the more protected you are to the temptation of getting attention elsewhere, correct? Intimacy is protection. And it's the same with our walk with God. When we're intimate with the Father, we're protected by Him. But pride tells us that He resists us. He pushes us away. Church, this is a scary thought. But when He resists us, it leaves us vulnerable because it's destroyed the intimacy. And so we can see how destructive pride is in our life. Next, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This means I choose to submit to the Father. Even when I don't understand, I choose to trust Him. Even when I cannot see how it's going to work out, I know He's working for my good. Even when it goes against the flesh, what I want, I choose to obey Him. And even when he takes me through the fire and he refines me and it is painful, God, I humble myself and I submit to your will, your ways, your wisdom. Not my will, but yours be done. The scripture tells us to be sober. Have you seen a drunk person? My heart was so sad last night. I was coming home from the church late and, and I was driving down. And I saw a young guy walking on just on the side of the road. And he was so drunk. And I looked at him and I thought, how hopeless and helpless. 
And I considered stopping for a moment and thinking, let me put him in my car because he's going to just wander across the road. And I realized it's not safe for me to do it on my own. And the scripture tells us, be sober. Because when you're drunk, you're stumbling in your walk with God. You're not seeing straight. You're not hearing straight. And offense causes us to become like a drunk person where we start to imagine things that have been said. We start to imagine someone's talking about us or they're not treating me the way they used to. And so an offense causes us to become like a drunk person. And the word says, be sober, be vigilant. When you know you have an enemy, you need to be on your guard. You need to be watchful. You can't, cannot just lay back and think nothing's going to happen. The word tells us we have an enemy. And it says, be vigilant. And then it says, your adversary, the devil. I want to point out, it doesn't say your adversary, your boss. Or your husband, or your wife, or your pastor, or your worship leader, or um, your colleague. It says, the devil. And what we need to start to understand is that we have a real enemy. And it's not people. But he'll use anyone and anything to trip you up. And the word says that he plans and he plots day and night to find fault and to trip us up, to put a stumbling block in our way. And when we recognize who our enemy is, can we start to become angry at the enemy and, less, and a little more gracious with each other? Because people are not our enemy. Adversary in Greek is prosecutor in the court of law. We need to understand this. The enemy comes in. He's like a prosecutor. He comes into our life and he brings a fact about us or about someone, and he reminds you over and over again about what they said, what they did, what they didn't do. Offense generally comes because of something that somebody did or didn't do and did not meet your expectation. And so he comes in and he reminds you of this thing over and over and over. He pulls a fact up like a prosecutor in the court of law, and he reminds you, and he reminds you until you take the bait and you become offended and you build up a stronghold in your mind. And a stronghold is a fortress, a tower that prevents the presence, the voice, the anointing, the favor of God to be able to get into your heart and into your mind. And so you build up a stronghold because of a fact that he's presented you with. The word says he's seeking whom he may devour, which means he cannot devour all of us. Hallelujah. He's looking for those who are vulnerable, those who are weak, those who have been proud and been resisted and pushed on the outskirts, those who are not sober and who are not vigilant. Those are the ones he comes for. And then the word says he comes to devour. The word devour in Greek is pino, which means to simply slurp up the remains. To slurp up the remains. So really, in essence, what the enemy does is he brings a fact. You become offended. You think about it. You think about it. You think about it. He, he leaves you to destroy yourself. 
And then he simply comes back and he slurps up the remains. Can you see his strategy? And yet we fall for it. If I had to offer Kirk a handful of poison, would you eat it? I've got a rat on my patio at the moment and it keeps on waking us up at two in the morning. That rat is getting poisoned tonight. <laughs> Sorry, Brenda, but the rat is getting poisoned. If I had to give you poison, you would not eat it. But yet offense is like poison. It kills us. It destroys our calling. It destroys anointing. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys ministries. It destroys churches. And yet as believers, we fall for the trick time and time and time again. But the word says be vigilant. You see, pride is the perfect environment for an offense. Why? Because Hebrews 3.13 tells us that a man's heart is hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Pride is sin. So what it does is it hardens our hearts. It makes us believe that we're okay. I don't need God. I'm fine. It causes us to become vulnerable because we're resisted and pushed away out of the presence of God. Intimacy is broken. And we sit, there's a saying, what is it, like a, a sitting duck? Is it? You're like a sitting duck waiting for the attack. See, pride takes your eyes off God and it puts it on yourself. Whereas humility takes your eyes off yourself and puts it back on God where it belongs. And therefore, humility is an effective weapon to disarm the enemy. Because when our eyes are there, we're no longer worried about what's happening here. Because our eyes are there. We know that he's the author and the finisher of our faith working all things together for good. Luke 17 has been covered in depth over the last two weeks, and it's really a, a chapter, passage of Scripture that talks about offense. Jesus is dealing with offense. And in the King James Version, Jesus makes reference to a sycamine tree. And my mom said, isn't it a sycamore? I'm like, in the King James, it's a sycamine tree. It's there. It's up. Uh, it'll come up soon, I think. Um, but he makes reference. We know when Jesus makes a reference to something, it's not by chance. It's not just for any reason. There is a specific reason, and I want to tell you what it is. The sycamine tree, some interesting facts, is that it was pollinated through the sting of a wasp. The wasp would sit on the fruit and put its sting into the fruit, and it would sting the, the plant, and so the tree would be pollinated. The sycamine tree also had the deepest root systems of all trees in the Middle East. Thirdly, it grew best where there was no water. Its wood was the preferred wood to make coffins. And lastly, the fruit of the sycamine was so bitter it could only be eaten in small bites at a time. It was only eaten by the poor because the rich would not choose to purchase it. But the poor would take a bite and have to chew on it for a while and then swallow because it was so bitter. 
And probably without me explaining, you can see the similarities between an offense and the sycamore. You see, offense comes because there is a sting that comes from someone we care about. Someone hurts us. Someone says something. And there's a sting. And offense is pollinated. Its roots grow so deep that if we don't deal with it quickly, like if you had to plant a big tree next to the foundations of your house, it would eventually start to destroy the foundations of the house. Likewise, if we do not deal with offense quickly and cut it at its root, its root will cause damage to your house and to this house. It also grows best where there is no water. The word tells us that God's word is like, it washes us. It's like water. It washes us. And so maybe you're sitting here today offended and you're becoming angry at the word. But God's word is there to challenge us, to convict us, to correct us, to discipline us, to wash us. And when we refuse to listen to the word, we come in and we sit under the word, but we don't, we, chew, we want to take the nice bits, the feel-good message, and leave the rest. We don't allow God's word to do what it was sent forth to do. Its wood was made, used to make coffins. Offense will kill your calling. It will destroy you. And lastly, the fruit is so bitter. Think about a fence. Someone does something, you think about it. You take a bite and you chew on it and you chew on it and you think about it and you talk about it and you relive it and you replay it. And, you, and maybe for a while you leave it and you walk away and something triggers it and it goes back and you take another bite and you chew on it until you become bitter. You're the fruit of what you've allowed in. But Jesus gives us a remedy. He says, say to the tree, be plucked up from the root and be planted in the sea. Say to. Listen, we need to start to speak to our offense. Our voice is our authority. And we need to get to a place where we say enough is enough. This thing has destroyed my life long enough. It's robbed my joy. It's taken my peace. It's destroyed relationships. Today, it's done. I speak to that thing and I say, you have to go. Not if I feel like it. Because when we recognize the strategy of the enemy, we need to speak to it and say, go. It says, pluck it up at the root. What is the root? It's pride. Pride says, I have every right to feel the way I do. And listen, maybe you do. Maybe you do. But you have a choice to let it destroy you or to let it go. And then it says to plant it in the sea. A tree cannot survive in salty conditions. And so like I said in the beginning, we need to allow God to deal with the condition of our heart where he removes the pride and the arrogance and the unforgiveness and the bitterness. And we say, God, do a work in my heart. Change the condition of my heart. Because just 
like a tree cannot survive in salty conditions, an offense cannot survive in, in humble conditions. It cannot. Because it takes my eyes off the person, off myself, and it puts it back on God where it belongs. And so we need to say, God, do a work in my heart. Change the condition of my heart. And lastly, when there's humility, we recognize our own shortcomings and the need for mercy and grace and forgiveness. I can assure you that there is not one of us in this room today that has not messed up at some point in life. Every one of us maybe have had good intentions, but we've messed up somewhere along the line. And you don't need to remember much except the forgiveness that you received in order to forgive others. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. This is our instruction. And church, I don't want to be insensitive to people that have been hurt. You know, even in preparing this, I was saying, God, this is an easy message if it's trivial issues. You know, someone cut me off or someone didn't greet me. I mean, that's simple stuff. But, but when it hurts, when there's been betrayal, when there's been abuse, God, how do we get to this place of letting it go? And he said to me, trust me. Because Jesus humbled himself even unto death. He was rejected by man. He was betrayed by his friend. He was beaten. Those who he had done miracles for said crucify him. And yet on the cross he stretched out his hands and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He humbled himself even unto death. And today I want to encourage you that if the wound is deep, I'm not saying it's easy. What I'm saying is that God wants to bring healing to you. His word says that he's come to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up our wounds. And forgiveness doesn't mean you're wrong and they're right. Forgiveness says I no longer will be ensnared by the trap of the enemy. I want freedom. God, I want freedom. Deal with the condition of my heart. And last night as I was in prayer, the Lord said to me, I want to pour out the balm of Gilead. And I was like, okay, what is that? I don't even, I've heard it, but what is it, Lord? And I started to do a study. And you know, the balm is for healing. The wounded. Wounded. People that are wounded by the sting of someone else's behavior or decisions. And I think of, of Joseph, he was betrayed by his brothers, left for dead. And yet at the end of the chapter, it says his brothers come before him and he says, don't be afraid. I'm in the place God wanted me because what you planned for evil, my God planned for my good. But the interesting thing is, 
he was sold to a group of Gileads that were carrying a load of balm. Think about this. This is not coincidental. God had already provided the healing he needed before he knew he needed it. And God took him through a process of healing where he chose to not become offended, to to release it so God's will could be done in his life. And so church this morning, my challenge to all of us is can we choose to forgive? Allow God to heal our hearts, to do a work in us, to change the condition of our hearts and to refuse. I am so sick and tired of seeing Christians defeated because of the snare of the enemy. I'm tired. We've been called to more than that. And it's time that we become angry and say, I recognize the strategy and I refuse to fall for it. I refuse. And if you have fallen, and we all have, today make a choice and say no no more. I pluck this thing at the root of pride and I cast it into the sea. And I say, God, set me free. God is able to deal with the one who's offended you. He's more than able. Leave it with him. Set yourself free this morning so that he can do a work in you and you can walk in the fullness of what he's called you to. But it takes us clothing ourselves with humility. Clothing. God, not my will, but yours. Not my way, but yours. Even though it's painful, God, I choose to believe. I choose to trust. I choose to obey what the word says. Can we agree today that enough is enough? Enough is enough. Can we stand this morning? I've tried to do a summarized version because worship was a bit longer, but it was so good. If today you're agreeing and you're saying enough is enough, can you just raise your hands? You say, I've become aware of the strategy of the enemy now. I understand that he wants to destroy me. I recognize what offense does, and I won't allow it to destroy me. Father, this morning you see the hands that are raised. I pray, God, for courage. I pray, Father, that you would bring back to remembrance the scripture, this teaching, that as the enemy presents us with opportunity to become offended. God, that we would be vigilant. I pray, God, may we be sober. God, that we would disarm the enemy through humility. I pray, God, for humility today, that you would deal with the condition of all of our hearts, I pray. And God, where there's been hurt, where there is deep wound, this morning I pray, Abba Father, for your balm to touch and to heal. We place our burdens, we place our hurts and our disappointments and the betrayal and the rejection and the heartache into your hands. God, we say that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we could ask or think of you because you love us and you care for us. And so, God, I pray for healing this morning. 
I pray for courage, God, that we would clothe ourselves with humility. When we feel like we need to fight back, God, may we be clothed with humility, I pray. May we choose to take our eyes off ourselves and our own circumstances and put them back on you where they belong. And God, today I break off the attack, the open door of offense in each of our lives, I pray. Father, I ask for victory in the name of Jesus. I pray for healing, God, in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would set us free today. God, that we would not be resisted by you, but we would be pulled into your embrace. We'd be intimate, God, with you, I pray. Thank you, Father, for grace, because we cannot do this on our own. We need you. Jesus, you humbled yourself even unto death. Even the times, Jesus, we've disappointed you. We repent of that. And God, today we repent of times where we've been rebellious and hard-hearted, full of pride and arrogance and saying, I have every right to feel the way I feel. God, today we humble ourselves. We repent. And God, I ask that as you take us through a process of refining and purifying and purging, God, that we would stay the course, I pray, that we would not lose heart. And God, that you would allow us to come out like pure gold in your hands. Soft, pliable, easy to work with. And God, that you would expose the gifts and the beauty and the talent that has been laying dormant for so long. God, I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes this morning to see the strategy of the enemy. And we would stand, God, having done all that we would stand, I pray. Stand against the attack of the enemy. We would not retreat. You have called us, God, unto the front line. And so this morning we say we will stand and be vigilant and sober. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Forgive us, God, when we've become offended with you angry at you because things are hard i pray father for grace during these times of refining lord when it is painful i pray for grace that we will continue we will not give up we would not lose heart may your will be done in each of our lives i pray God, today we declare that we will be a humble people. We prophesy today, God, that we will be a humble people. Our eyes on you, humble. You give grace to the humble. In Jesus' name, amen. 